Well, welcome to Emmanuel. Let me ask you a quick question. Is anybody ready to pursue awesome? Anybody? Anybody excited? Let's hear it. Let's see. Is anybody ready to pursue awesome? Anybody? Awesome. I am. Maybe some of you in the balcony, not, not awake yet, but uh, how are you guys in the balcony? You ready to pursue awesome? Anybody up there? Yeah, I see you. See you up there. I haven't forgotten about you. And uh, hey, we are, if you're a guest with us here today, um, I just want to let you know, my name's Danny. It's not really the, the point. I, I just want to let you know who I am, and I'm the senior pastor here, and I, I'm the guy that usually gives the talk on the weekend. And we are in a series right now called Pursuing Awesome. And what we've been talking about in this series is this idea that most people have settled for average. And av- what I mean by average is less than what they're capable of and less than what they desire in their life. And so we've been talking about this idea of why is, that, that, why is it that 95% of Americans have settled for an average life? And how can we move people out of average, myself included? How can we begin to live an awesome life, the life that I believe God has planned for every single one of us? So if you want to catch up on week one and week two, we've got this app on the iPhone. You can go to iTunes. You can get it on your iPad on your iPhone or whatever phone that you use, and you can download that app, and you can catch up on the first couple of sermons. This is actually week three of a five-week series. And so, so what I want to do today is continue this conversation about what it looks like to live an awesome life and how to live an awesome life. What we said a couple, last couple of weeks is that growing up as children, no one desired average, right? As a kid, can you remember back when you were growing up? You didn't dream about living an average life, did you? Little boy, little girl, right? At least from a little boy's perspective, I, I dreamed of being on the Yankees. You know, I, we grew up watching the Yankees play. I, grew, I lived in New York. It was, you know, Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield and Ricky Henderson and all those guys. And some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. That's okay. <laughs> um, but you're not a baseball fan. But I dreamed about being in the major leagues. I also dreamed about being in the NBA. When I got a little earl- older, I discovered Michael Jordan. I wasn't much of a New York Knicks fan because they were playing against Michael Jordan, and if you remember the Knicks back then, it was like, I don't know, Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Oakley, and who really liked those guys anyway, right? Anybody remember those boys? Some of you are like, who are they? I don't know, okay, all right, enough with the sports illustrations, <laughs> but I, did, I didn't really like them. I, I really liked Michael Jordan. I thought, man, I want to be in the NBA when I grow up. I don't want to be average. I want to soar. I want to I go as far as I possibly can, and I guarantee if you were a little boy growing up, you know, you, you desired awesome and, and whatever that looked like. Maybe it was the NFL or something like that, and maybe you wanted to be an astronaut. Now, for little girls, you know, little girls probably, I don't really know what they desired, <laughs> maybe to be a princess or something like that, because I've never been a little girl, but, but, uh, but I'm sure, here's what I'm sure of, it wasn't average, it wasn't average, right? You wanted to soar and do something great with your life. Am I, am I right, ladies? Ladies? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Nobody desires average, but somewhere along the line, uh, along the path of living, whether it's through a friend or a coach or, or another person in your school you didn't like or, or uh, a, a parent or, or someone like that, a teacher, we've kind of gotten some feedback that says, hey, hey, don't, don't really shoot for the stars. Like, you're not that good. I had, a, I had a basketball coach tell me that one time. He says, you'll never make it to the NBA. It's like, like even if I couldn't, do you tell a kid that, right? I don't know. It like, seems like you're crushing their dreams, right? And it's just somewhere along the path, we come across some feedback that says, hey, you should probably kind of lower your expectations and settle into more of an average life. And I just, I've always hated that. I thought, no, if I'm going to do anything, I want to be great at it, right? But for, for, for some reason, we have all, most of us have settled into an average life. And so this series really just try to push people out of average and, and get people back to pursuing the dreams and hopes that they had when they were little 
children or something like that. You know, average is easy and awesome is hard. The reason awesome is so hard is because you have to overcome something called the fixed mindset. The fixed mindset simply says, you know, the talent and the abilities and the skills that I have, my character, it's carved in stone and I can't really do anything about it. And so it is what it is and I'll never be anything more than I already am. So why put forth the effort? Why take more classes? Why pursue, a, for, why further my education? Why would I do that? I'm never going to be anything other than what I already am. And so many of us have developed a fixed mindset which limits our achievement in life. And so that was week one. And we overturned the fixed mindset with something called the growth mindset. I don't have time to get in all that right now, but that basically means that, okay, there's, here's where I am today, but I can get better and better and better if I put forth the effort and have the right experiences and, and, and discipline myself. Then last week we talked about a lack of clarity and how a lot of times we just don't have a target. We, ha we don't have something on the wall that says, here's what my awesome looks like, and you cannot hit a target that you don't have. Agree with this? Yes or no? Talk to me. Yes or no? Yeah. So I gave you four principles to kind of come up with what your awesome looks like. Your awesome needs to glorify God. It needs to engage your heart. It needs to leverage your talent and your ability, and it needs to be bigger than yourself, right? And so hopefully, hopefully, you took those four principles and you got alone in a little Starbucks somewhere, some other coffee shop, and you worked those four principles and you came up with your awesome. Did you do it? Did you do it? Oh, you didn't do it. <laughs> you were supposed to write it down. Anybody write down their awesome? Oh, you didn't write it down. <laughs> I feel like a failure right now because you didn't do your homework. Okay. I'll get over it. But I told you to write it down, and then I told you not only to write it down, but also prioritize it. So if you didn't do your homework from last week, man, go back and, and do your homework and take those four principles so you can come up with awesome. Because again, you cannot hit a target you don't have. And so today what I want to do is talk about another major obstacle to living an awesome life, and that is failure. I just told you I feel like a failure. But uh, so it's kind of funny. Maybe it's not. Anyway, let's talk about failure. Here's what Napoleon Hill said, and, and before I show you this quote, Napoleon Hill, who is he? He's a guy who wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. He was a counselor advisor to two presidents, Woodrow Wilson and also FDR. He, did, he interviewed some of, the, some of the most successful people in the world back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, people like Andrew Carnegie and, and, uh, and Henry Ford and, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt and, and Thomas Edison. And he, he would spend time with these people and he would basically study their life. And he did this for years. And he took all of his interviews and he put it together in a book called Think and Grow Rich. And, and, and in, the, in that book, he talks about dealing with failure. Listen to what he says here. Before success comes in any person's life, they are sure to meet with much temporary defeat and perhaps some failure. Like this is absolutely part of life. In your notes, the way I wrote it is this. Everyone fails on the road to awesome. Every single person fails in this life. No one gets through this life. No one achieves awesome by bypassing the valley of failure. It's just the way it goes. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible, if you're a Bible reader, you'll know this because you've read it. When you open up its pages, what you see there is that there's no cover-up. Adam and Eve failed in the garden. It writes about their failure. Abraham failed to trust God. He lied about his wife. Moses was told to speak to the rock. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. He totally blew it. And his penalty, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. 
You look at the Bible and you see the, the raw, the details of what actually happened in the scriptures. The main characters always failed. If you go into the New Testament, it's the same thing. Peter failed. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. He repeatedly failed over and over and over, the, over and over and over. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 wrote about his repeated failures. He said things like, you know, the things that I know I should be doing, I don't do, and the things that I know I shouldn't do, I keep on doing. I mean, he just basically said, I, I fail over and over and over. The disciples, they failed Jesus in the most critical time of his life. When, they, when, they needed, when he needed them the most, they totally abandoned him. You look into the scriptures and you see failure after failure after failure, which, is, which by the way, let me slow down here, I'm going a little bit too quick. Which, by the way, is the reason I believe in the Bible. Because if it was written by man, they'd cover all that stuff up. You see what I'm saying? You with me? Yes? But it was written by God, and man wrote down what God wanted them to write, and they wrote down what actually happened. That's what, one of the reasons I believe that the Bible is inspired by God. So you look into the Bible, and you see all these failures, and you know what happens? I end up resonating with the characters. I resonate with Moses. He was angry. I resonated with Abraham. He was afraid. He was afraid that they were going to kill his wife, so he lied. I resonate with that. I give in. I cave. I fail. Does anybody else fail? Yes? Yeah, so you look into the Bible and you see failure everywhere. You, one out of every two marriages fails in this country. That's just, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Bloomberg Business said eight out of ten business startups fail. Eighty percent of business startups crash and burn. Some of you know who J.K. Rowling is because you read Harry Potter. She's the author of, of uh, Harry Potter, and she put out 12, uh, I'm sorry, seven, seven volumes. But the first manuscript that she labored on, by the way, before she actually finished that first manuscript, she had a failed marriage. She had a daughter that came out of that marriage that she was raising by herself, living off of government assistance. She was penning the first manuscript on welfare. Amazing. She handed the first manuscript to 12 different publishers, and she got rejected 12 times in a row until the finally the 13th time someone said yes because their 8-year-old was reading it and they couldn't put it down. She said this about failure. Listen to these words. This comes from life experience. It is impossible, key word, it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well have not lived at all, in which case you fail by default. What is she saying? She's saying, if you are going to pursue your dream, if you are going to try to live an awesome life, you are going to fail. Unless you just stay in your comfort zone, which is your failure zone, because you don't do anything out of your comfort zone, right? Nothing great ever comes from your comfort zone, right? Which by default, if you stay in your comfort zone, what do you do? You fail to reach awesome. You live an average life. So by default, you end up failing. But if you decide to push out of your comfort zone, you are absolutely going to fail. Everyone fails. Can you say that with me today? Say just, everyone fails. Come on, so you're not excited about it. Come on, this is exciting. Ready? One, two, three. Everyone fails. That's just the way it is in all of life. Now here's what's devastating about that. Failure causes most people to quit. Majority of folks throw in the towel on their dreams and on their hopes when they quit. Let's go back to Napoleon Hill. Here's what he said, by observation. When defeat overtakes a person, the easiest and most logical thing to do is to what? Quit. That's exactly what the majority, 95% of people do in this life, which is why most people settle into a life that is average. People just give up. 
I have to, when I read those words, I thought, does it have to be that way? Does it have to be that every time I fail, I give up on something? No, it doesn't have to be that way. What if, what if you could view failure from a totally different perspective? What if you could see failure as something positive in your life? What if failure could become fuel on the journey towards awesome? Wouldn't that be cool? What do you think? Here's what Zig Ziglar said. I love this quote. It's not about how far you fall, but how high you bounce. Isn't that exciting? So anybody, can you imagine if in your life, every time you blew it, every time you failed, you bounced higher? Wow, that'd be so exciting. What, what if you could view failure the way Thomas Edison did? He said, I haven't failed. I've just figured out 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Isn't that how he reached his awesome? Isn't that how the light bulb came into being? See, I would have given up after the first try. So I don't know how to do this. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Why? Because he had a different perspective on failure. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, success is stumbling from, success, from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's a totally different perspective on failure. What, what would happen if you had that perspective in your life? Something tells me that you would hit your target, that you would reach your awesome. That failure, instead of causing you to quit, would become this energizer, this catalyst, this fuel that pursued you towards your picture of awesome. So here's my question today that we're going to try to answer in three different ways. How do you and I develop a positive perspective on failure? How do we develop the right mindset, the right view of failure? Because everyone fails. Ready? Say it with me. Everyone fails. It's either going to cause you to quit or it's going to become fuel on your journey towards awesome. Let me answer that question three ways. If you're going to become the type of person that, that leverages failure for your benefit, that propels you towards awesome, first of all, you're going to have to understand that failure is absolutely required. On your journey towards awesome, failure is required. I chose that word very intentionally. I didn't just say it's going to happen. I said it's required. You will fail, fail and if you're not failing, you're not pursuing awesome. You see, no one gets through this life, as I've already said, without failing, not even King David. Now, if you've read the Bible a little bit, you know that King David was held up as, the, as a role model for all the other kings. In the Bible, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart, right? The kings were to, to follow his example, to love God the way he loved God, to obey God the way he obeyed God. If you've read the scriptures, you've seen this. But yet, one day, David had a massive failure. He was on his palace roof one day, and he was just kind of looking around, and he saw a woman taking a bath, which apparently in those days, women took baths on their, on their deck. It's maybe strange, but today, but, uh, but that's the way they did it back then. And, and so he saw her, and she was naked, and he began to lust. And so he began to inquire, who is this woman? And so he sent his messengers over there and found out that this was the wife of one of his key soldiers. His name was Uriah. And so David said, you know what, that's okay, I can, I can still pull this off because I'm the king. And he, like I said, he was lusting, and so here's what he did in 2 Samuel. Then David sent his messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. He committed adultery. He was a married man, she was a married woman, and he thought, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. He was suffering from temporary insanity, and he totally blew it. She ended up getting pregnant. And then he came up with this stupid idea to have her husband put on the front lines of the fiercest part of the battle, and he was killed. He basically committed murder to cover up because he wanted to take Bathsheba in to marry her and raise this child. You say, godly man? Ooh. That doesn't really sound like a very godly example. Not in that moment it wasn't. 
the ramifications of this mess up were, <laughs> were devastating. It wasn't just the death of the child. What ended up happening because of this sin is that one of David's sons raped one of David's daughters. The son who raped the daughter was murdered by another son of David's who was so angry about the situation, he killed his brother. Another son named Absalom tried to, to just basically overthrow David and take away his kingdom. He died in the process. I mean, it was just one thing after another after Where did it all start? It started with this failure, this moral failure. He committed adultery and then murder. Did he give up? Anybody know the story? Did he give up? No, he didn't give up. He confessed his sins. He went back to God. He asked for God's forgiveness. He was restored. He suffered consequences. There are consequences to sins, but God did not give up on him and restored him, and he ended up going down in history as one of the greatest kings ever. Listen, if David did not get through this life without a massive failure, who are you and I to think that we will? Right? We're not. No one gets through this life without failing. It is required on this journey. Listen, here's why we fail. Here's why it's so important to fail, and here's why failure is required on this journey. See, if you're pursuing awesome, you're pushing out of your comfort zone. Yes or no? Yes? Yes? You're, you're going outside. When you're outside of your comfort zone, you lack the necessary skills, the intelligence, perhaps even some character, right, and some talent. And so when you lack those things, what's going to happen to you outside of your comfort zone, which is why we don't like to go there? What's going to happen? You're going to fail. You're going to mess up because you don't have the, what it takes to, to go outside of your comfort zone. But, but here's, the, here's the powerful thing. Unless you're pushing outside of your comfort zone, you're not going to grow. So failure is actually necessary to growth. In fact, if you're not failing, you're not progressing. A couple weeks back, I was with my son, and he takes private lessons from, uh, from a Center Grove uh, graduate here who now plays at Indiana Wesleyan. His name is Johnny Marlin. And it, we, when I went over there, and I was just watching Johnny train my son, and they're going in and out of cones, and they're doing all these fancy ball handling drills. And I'm just observing. I'm just kind of watching. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And, 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 and so Andrew's going through, and he's doing all these drills. And then Johnny said something that was so perfect. It captured. It captured what I'm trying to say. He said, Andrew, you're not messing up enough. You're, you're not... You're not dribbling off your foot enough. You're not, and here's what he was saying. You're being too careful. You're trying to do the drill too perfect. And, and, and when you do the drill too perfect and when you slow down, guess what? You don't get better. So the evidence that you're getting better and the evidence that you're stretching is that you're dribbling the ball off your foot. Now, he didn't say all this, but that's what I heard him say, basically. He's like, you got to mess up. Like, the evidence, like, if you're going to get better, you got to dribble the ball off your foot. you got to lose the handle. you gotta, you got to be pushing so hard because, because you don't have the skill yet. You're growing your skill. Can you imagine if we parented our children this way? See, some of us parents, we don't want our kids to fail. No, we, just, we hate it, right? We try to protect them. We pay their bills sometimes. We do all these crazy stuff to make sure they don't fail, right? Failure is necessary to grow. Like, what if, what if we started parenting this way? Picture it around the dinner table. Hey, kids, how's it going? Tell dad, tell grandpa, if you, if those of you who are grandparents, here, 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 sit on grandpa's lap. Tell me about your failures. Come on. Come on, keep them coming. Because if you're not failing, you're not growing. So keep, tell Grandpa, what if, what if that was the conversation around the dinner table? How did you fail today? I don't want to hear about the successes. I don't want to hear about the shots you made or the grades you got or the A's you got. Tell me about the failures. Wow. What message would we send our children? Failure is required for growth. We teach our children to avoid failure. And so what do they do? They stay in their comfort zone. They stay where they're comfortable. And therefore, they never reach their potential. Are you getting this? Say yes or no. Yes? 
This is powerful stuff. This is required. In the book Mindset, uh, Carol Dweck talks about a guy named Billy Bean. Some of you might know who he is because of the movie Moneyball. Brad Pitt played Moneyball. Remember this movie? Anybody? Any Brad Pitt fans out there? I know he's getting older, but he's still kind of cute. Ladies, do you watch him? In the movie, uh, Billy Bean, well, I don't want to talk about the movie, Bill, but I didn't know this about Billy, and, and Dwick talks about it. Basically, in high school, he was a stud. He was the starting quarterback. He was the, he was the leading scorer on the, on the basketball team. And in baseball, he batted 500 in a very difficult part of the country where high school baseball, they played high school baseball. Well, he was so talented that uh, he went on to play in the minor leagues. The only problem was, and some of the scouts noticed this, is that he didn't know how to make an out. He would like look for something to break when he would strike out. Like he could not handle failure in his mind, but he was still good enough to keep progressing. He ended up making it to the major leagues. He played with Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco and, and Ricky Henderson on the Oakland A's. Some of you remember that. And, uh, but he never reached his potential. Some, some of the scouts were saying, this is going to be the next Babe Ruth. Like this guy is so good, he's going to break all the records. His only problem was he had the fixed mindset. He hated to fail. He didn't know what to do with himself when he failed. And as opposed to him, uh, there was another guy named Lenny Dykstra. Some of you remember Lenny from the New York Mets. I think he's now in jail because he broke the law. But anyway, uh, but I remember him because he had this big wad of chew in his mouth all the time, just huge wad of tobacco. And, and he was just like this gritty player. He had about half the talent that Billy Beam had. But here's what Billy said about Lenny Dykstra. And this captures, it absolutely captures it. Listen to this. He had no concept of failure, and I was the opposite. I started to get a sense of what a baseball player was, and I could see that it wasn't me, it was Lenny. The author says this, as Billy Bean began to watch and listen and mull it over, it dawned on him that mindset was more important than talent. Bean had all the talent in the world, but he didn't have the right mindset. He didn't see failure as something positive, as something that's going to help him grow, as a requirement to becoming a great baseball player. Even the best baseball players in the world got out two out of three times. The best of the best, right? It was the great philosopher Michael Jordan who said it this way. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over three, almost 300 games. 26 times I was trusted with the ball at the end of the game, and I've missed. I have failed time and time again over and over in my life, and that is why I succeed. Did you get it? Did you get it? If I'm going to grow, if you're going to grow, failure is required. In fact, if you're not failing, you're not growing. Say that with me. If you're not failing, you're not growing. Somebody please tweet that because that's powerful right there. Some of you are like, let's tweet. What's that mean? I don't know. Well, another story for another day. Number one, failure is required. Number two, failure is our teacher. On the road to awesome, failure instructs us. It's our, it's our, it's our, our, our teacher. It's, the, it's our professor. It was Henry Ford who said it this way. The only mistake, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. We have to take the time to step back and look at the reasons why we failed. Why did the business fail? Why did the marriage fail? Why did, why did I fail uh, to keep my integrity? Why did I, like, wh why do I, why did my relationship with my child fail? We have to stop the blaming. We've got to stop the, sh it's so easy to blame others, isn't it? Isn't it fun to blame others? It's not my fault. The president, see, it's the government. It's the, it's the economy. It's the, it's my, my ex-wife. It's my ex-husband. Come on, we got to stop that nonsense. We will never get better if we just continue to point the finger. We have to sit down and evaluate, what did I do wrong in this situation to cause this failure? And unless we do that, failure is going to cause us to quit. It's not going to be fuel on the road to awesome. Some of you know who Dave Ramsey is. Anybody? Dave Ramsey? 
great, and he's a multimillionaire right now. He's written Financial Peace University, Total Money Makeover. He's the Financial Peace University class, many of you have taken that. Here's what Dave had to say from life experience, not from a book. From life experience, Dave Ramsey said this. Most people have ach- who have achieved any level of success in their life have had massive, a massive number of failures along the way. And for some reason, they didn't quit. Dave, maybe you don't know this about Dave. Dave is a raging success right now. He is living an awesome life. He would say that himself, right? He, what does he say? Somebody says, Dave, how you doing? He says, better than I deserve, right? That's his quote, right? He's, he's on the radio. He talks about how awesome his life is. He's given back. But it wasn't always that way. In his early 20s, he suffered a massive failure. And I want you to hear the story from his mouth himself instead of me telling it. Check this out. The rest of the story, uh, I'll just fill you in because the video was a little bit too long. But uh, he went about looking through God's word to say, there's got to be some principles in God's word that can help me figure out, you know, how to do this right. And so he started to study and he started to pay attention to church. And sure enough, he discovered these principles and put them into an an order for himself and for his family and started to pull back out of the financial situation he was in. And then people started to take notice and they said, wow, Dave, you know, you went through this massive failure and you're pulling out. Now you're doing well. What is your secret? And he began to show it to different people and he began to share it. And he realized, oh, my gosh, this stuff not only helps me, but it helps other people. And that's where his his current business model comes from. Isn't that incredible? What, he, what did he do? He sat back and he asked himself, what were the reasons that I failed? And he wrote them down. And he made the adjustments. And now his life is totally different. Listen, it was Napoleon Hill who said it this way. Every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed, a seed of equal or greater benefit. I believe that with all my heart. There's a, there's a truth. There's a lesson. There's, a, there's, there's something there that can be learned in the midst of a failure that can be applied to life that will be fuel for you on your journey towards awesome. What if you could see failure that way? Oh, something tells me that you're going to eventually hit your target. You're going to eventually hit awesome. Let me give you the third one really quick. On, the, on your journey to awesome, you have to be willing to make the adjustments. It's not just about learning what you did wrong. A lot of people know what they did wrong, and then they do it again. <laughs> they repeat the same mistake that they made over and over and over. And it's been said, obviously, that when you do that same thing over and over and over again, that's like temporary insanity. Am I right? If you continue to do what you've always done, you're going to continue to get what you've always got. Some of you realize that, but you still do it anyway. I do it myself, right? It's craziness. It was Henry Ford who said it this way. I love this idea. Failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. In other words, I just learned what not to do. Let me start over and not do that thing. The problem is we keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know, the Bible says something about that. It's not so um, complimentary. In Proverbs 26, verse 11, this is, this is for those of you who have a dog. Anybody have a dog out there? I do. Love my dog, but does, he does some gross stuff sometimes. Listen to what the Bible says. As a dog returns to his vomit. Now, why do they do that? I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why does my dog eat his vomit? It's gross. But it's just what it is, right? As the dog eats its vomit, you know, so, a fool, so is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Listen, it's, this is the person that just doesn't make the adjustments. They made that mistake, and then they go back and they make the same mistake again. You know what the Bible says about that? 
The Bible says that you're like a dog. Now, my dog has very minimal intelligence. How about yours? <laughs> it has some, but not a whole lot. So, listen, I'm not calling you a dog today. I'm just saying God's calling you a dog today. If you keep making the same mistake over and over and over, if you're not making the adjustments in your life, and you, you have some people in your life like this, right? Maybe it's a brother. They're not here today, and you're thinking about him. Maybe it's the uncle that, you know, that, that keeps making the same mistake over and over and over, year after year, decade after decade, oh my, right? And you're like, man, this is for... What about you? What about you? In your life, where do you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? Right? It's because you're unwilling or I don't know what it is. You're not making the adjustment that you need to make in your life. In Psalm 119, verse, uh, verse 59, it says this. I pondered the direction of my life. You have to do that. You got to find a quiet place. And you got to put the cell phones away and the Facebook away and you got to put all the distractions away and you got to ponder the direction of your life. You got to think deeply about how's it going with my finances, my marriage, with my children, with my health. How's it, how's the direction of my life going? And when, when, when God says, yeah, you got to see it's not going well here. It's not going well here. You're not going to reach your goal if you keep doing this. Here's what you have to do. You have to turn. You got to make the adjustment and follow his laws. That's called repentance. It's when you turn around. You say, you know what? I'm not going the right way. I'm going to make the adjustment. I'm going to do it differently in my life. And that's how you eventually reach awesome in your life. Let me leave you with this thought. And this is, I think, the most, one of the most powerful things I could say today, I think. It's that no one is a failure until failure is accepted as a reality. It's just the truth. Like You don't become a failure until you say, I am a failure. It is what it is. Because that's not what, failure does not define you. Failure is an event, it's not a person. Like, you are not a failure until you decide that you are a failure. You, you with me? See? Failure happens to everybody. Why is it that some people don't let it define them and others let it define them and destroy them and cause them to quit? That's a choice. And you get to make that choice and I get to make that choice. In my life, I've decided to not let failure define me. Do I fail? Oh my gosh, I fail every day. <laughs> I fail as a husband, I fail as a pastor, I fail as a father, I fail as a Christian. If I let failure make, cause me to quit, if I let it define me, I wouldn't be here right now. Years ago, back in 2007 and 8, this church was doing this, it was doing a nosedive. When I was leading, I was leading that nosedive. Every week, our numbers were going down, 1,900, 1,800, 1,700, 1,600, 1,500, 1,400, 1,300, 1,200, 1,100. We got all the way down to 900. Our offerings went from 70,000 to 60,000 to 50,000 to 40,000 to 30,000 to 25,000. And I was in charge. <laughs> you imagine leading a ship that's going down like that? Did I have moments in my life where I thought about quitting? Oh, yes, I did. I would look at my wife and say, what have we done? I don't have the talent. I don't have the skill. I don't have the character. I don't have the leadership. I, just, I, would, I was making a case in my mind about what a failure I was. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, 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 God. That, that can't be true. Like God is doing something here. He chose me for this. 
And I chose to apply some of the principles that we're talking about today, that, man, there's something here that I need to learn. I'm stretching myself. I'm outside of my comfort zone. I need God. He's going to develop my skill in leadership. He's going to develop my character as, as a man. He's going to develop my character as a pastor. And I stayed in the game. And here we are back in 2016 right now. And we've got a second campus that's having a service right now. We're getting ready to launch our third campus. 25 people got saved last week. Over 1,000 people got saved in 2014. Oh, my gosh. What we would have missed out on had I just said, man, I can't do it, right? What are you going to miss out on in your life if you quit, if you throw in the towel, if you let failure define you and destroy you and cause you to give up? I don't want that for me. I don't want to live at the end of my life and, and come down and say, I got all these regrets of what might have been. I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for you. I want to live in awesome, the awesome life that God has planned for me, and I want that for you as well. And it's your choice, and it's my choice. Let me close by sharing with the greatest message in the world really quick as we wrap this thing up. I mentioned there was a massive failure right in the beginning of the Bible, right in the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve totally blew it. God told them, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden you want, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And all of a sudden, Satan, Satan slithers in and says, oh, come on, God didn't really mean that. He just knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. So go ahead and eat it. So Eve looks at the tree, and she's like, oh, it does look good. Looks, looks like it'll be delicious. And she goes ahead, and she eats it. She gives some to Adam. And that one failure to obey God plunged the entire human race into sin. Physical death and spiritual death. Listen to the way Paul says it, Romans chapter 5. When Adam sinned, notice, notice he doesn't say Eve. She ate the fruit first, but she's not in the picture. Husbands, pay attention. When your wife screw up, you're going to be held accountable in judgment day. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought physical death and spiritual death. And death, that separation from God forever because of sin, spread to everybody because everybody sinned. That sin nature was spread from Adam and Eve to their children to their children to their children all the way down to you and all the way down to me. We're born into this world separated from God by sin. That's really bad news. Do you agree with this? That's bad news. Who wants to spend eternity apart from God? Who in this room does not want to go to heaven when they die? That's bad news. But that's what makes the good news that much sweeter. In chapter 6, Paul says this. Yes, the wages or the payment of sin is a separation from God. Spiritual death. Yes, that's true. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. They are separate, right? However, however, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that, my friends, is the greatest news in the universe. You don't have to pay for the penalty for your sin because Jesus Christ already paid it. Some of you are thinking maybe for the first time, oh, that's why Jesus died on the cross. That, that makes sense now. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to wipe away, to wash away the penalty of sin that happened in the Garden of Eden and has affected your life and has created the world that we're in today. And with all the devastation and all the evil and all the pain and all the hurt and all the war and all the famine and all the death and disease and everything else came from that one decision in the Garden of Eden. Well, Jesus Christ's death on the cross washes away the penalty of sin and death. 
And I want you to see one last word, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that as a gift. This one word, free. It's free. It's the free gift of eternal life. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to come to church every Sunday. Oh, I think you should. It's pretty good, I think. You don't have to give your money, although it helps, because now we can launch more churches and reach more people. You don't have to be baptized, although you should. It shows people that you've really changed on the outside. It's a physical demonstration of an inner change. You You don't have to be confirmed, or you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be any of that stuff. It's totally free, and it's a gift. You say, well, how do I receive that gift? You put your faith in Christ. You say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you washed, you washed away. You paid the penalty. Please be my Savior. Be my God. I want you to be, I would like to have eternal life. If you'd like to receive the free gift of God right now, of eternal life, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and just say this simple prayer to God. It's the prayer he loves to answer. Put your faith in Christ right now by just expressing faith to him. Say these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that your death paid the penalty for sin, my sin. Please wash me, cleanse me, make me whole. I trust you for salvation. Please be my Savior. Be my God. I turn my life over to you. And help me from this day forward to pursue the awesome life that you've created me to live. One that honors you and brings glory to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. If you just prayed that prayer, we rejoice with you. Can we give God a hand? Can we give God glory? We rejoice with you. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make because it's a decision that affects all of eternity. And if you just made that decision, our church would like to put a gift in your hand, a one-year New Testament. And the reason this is so important for you to go pick up today if you prayed to receive Christ is because we believe with all of our heart, like I said earlier, that this book is inspired by God. That God told men what to write, and they wrote it down so that we can know the heart and mind of God, so that we can have instructions on how to live this life. Is it confusing sometimes? Sure, it's confusing. Does that mean you give up? No, we just talked about that. You don't give up. You keep reading it, and over time, as you keep reading the the, the Bible, you're going to begin to see and understand what God is like and how he wants you to live and the changes you need to make in your life and the person that you need to become. So if you pray to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my left and to my right. Go back there and tell them you prayed, and they'll give you one of these Bibles. Now, for the rest of us, for the rest of us, hey, failure is never final until it is accepted as reality. And you get to make that choice. If you want to leverage failure to become fuel towards your life, towards awesome, you have to understand it is required. No one gets this life without it. It is our teacher. It instructs us, and you must be willing to make the adjustments along the way. If you do that, you're going to be thinking, man, I'm going to go fail. Failure is going to be exciting. I heard one person say, if you want to be successful, double your rate of failure. (laughs) What am I saying today? Go out of here and mess up. That's what I'm telling you to do. Go fail at something. (laughs) No, kind of of half true. But, but, But what I'm saying is failure is a positive thing. It's evidence that you're growing. If you're not failing, you're not growing. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for this opportunity just to talk about our lives, talk about how things work, talk about your word, talk about how, how failure takes place in our life and how to, how to leverage it, God, for our benefit. You teach us things. You allow us to go through things so that we can grow and so that we can become better, stronger, deeper in our faith and our trust in you. God, thank you for those who put their faith in you today. Give them the courage to go grab a Bible and begin reading. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week we are going to be talking about grinding. Grinding. You say, what is grinding? Well, you're going to have to come back next week to find out. Bring a friend. We'll see you next week. God bless.